Let's move into our text. We're in the Gospel of Luke, and ha-ha, Thanksgiving was just behind us, and here we are in our story of the 10 lepers and one out of 10 in Luke 17. I'd do a little manipulation, skip a couple sections to make all that work, but it worked very, very well to fit both our emphasis on the generosity that we need in our lives, as we've uh, uh, been attuned to in the last couple of, of lessons, and Don will help us at the end of this one, but then also just from the depth of our being to be people who are thankful. Now, how is it that children are far more eager to rip the paper off the next gift than enjoying the one they have just opened? But then again, maybe it's not just the children. Some of us adults have uh, experienced that as well. Because how is it that the abundance of the Garden of Eden wasn't enough for the first children? As Adam and Eve were quickly grasping for something more. And more personally, I'd like to ask you a question this morning. What is your level of gratitude in your life? The Apostle Paul said something interesting in Philippians, the book of Philippians, chapter 4. He said, I've learned the secret of contentment, implying that he hadn't always had it, but it was something that he himself had to learn and to grow in. And while gratitude and thanksgiving, I believe, are learned qualities It seems to me that wishing and wanting and coveting and comparing and complaining all come quite naturally. At least they do for me. It's like uh, the mother who says, say thank you, little Johnny. And he looks at her as if she's asking him to speak an ancient language. Ingratitude at every age is a problem. And here we have it right in our text this morning. Now, I first saw leprosy firsthand, and it was one of the more memorable events of my life. And some of you have heard me tell this a time or two over the years, but at at the risk of repeating, I went to a leper colony in a remote part of India, And we drove for hours to find this place, and it was not dissimilar to what we might see in this passage. These lepers were situated in a no-man's land, a borderland, in our text it says, between Samaria and Galilee. And, And you would find the lepers not unlike where you might find a prison today. In other words, not in my backyard. And when we drove into the compound, there was also something very similar in outlook to our text this morning. The lepers were alone and forgotten and lonely and hadn't really had anyone from the outside visit them. And and though they were surprised to see us, these outsiders coming in, foreigners at, at that. Notice what our passage says in here in verse uh, Luke 16, 17 and verse 13. It says, they stood at a distance and they called out 
in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And I remember likewise the leprous, lepers desperately wanting us to see them, to recognize them, to acknowledge them, to understand their situation, to feel what they were experiencing, to know what they were facing. And I recall one older man who had lost nearly all of his fingers on his hands, wanting us to show, show us his hands for us to see it, nothing but nubs. And there was another young man that was there, maybe 25 or so, and he pulled off his ragged shirt like this in one fell swoop so that we could see the boils that covered his body. Notice verse 14. When he saw them, that is when Jesus saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. First, Jesus does what he promised he would do. And we see it here in this passage, and we see this theme repeated over and over in the gospel that Jesus would say what his ministry was about, and then he would carry it out. You might remember 10 chapters earlier in Luke chapter 7 and verse 22, he says, go tell John that is, John the Baptist, what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Here it is happening. Jesus is carrying out the signs of the kingdom, fulfilling his vision of healing and restoring and giving life and giving community. And particularly those who are on the outside, those who are on the border, those who feel like they've been left out of life. We know that Luke is telling us that what Jesus is doing for the leper, he will do for everyone who is on the outside. And it prompts the type of response we see here. And Jesus says, go show yourself to the priests. This would make sense because it is the priest who would then allow the cleansed leper to be reintegrated back into society. True healing is not simply physical healing. It is also this emotional and relational and social healing where the lepers now belong again. And so I want you to notice, though, that Jesus is inviting, when he says, go show yourself to the priest, the lepers to be involved in their own healing. While Jesus is doing the healing, it doesn't happen unless the lepers go. Their faith to go to the priest enabled their healing. And here's the point. We are always co-participants in our healing. God does it, but he does it with us and with others. And our faith and our approach matters. Now, 10 had the faith to go to the priests, but only one returned. And that one was doubly marked because he was both a, had leprosy and was a Samaritan. And again, the theme of Luke resounds in this one verse because those who know better don't and those 
who don't know do. And how many times have we seen that reversal in our text? And this one returns with all of his faculties. And the Bible says in verse 16, and he threw himself at Jesus' feet. And he was a Samaritan. And all of this builds in the background of our passage, leading to three then rapid questions by Jesus. And I want you to see them in our text, beginning with verse 17. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? And then he asked, where are the other nine? And then he asked, has no one returned to give praise except this foreigner? You ever thought about why the other ten didn't give thanks? Or the other nine didn't give thanks? I, I was just speculating this week, and it does, our text doesn't really indicate anything, but maybe they didn't give thanks to Jesus personally, but they did give thanks, just not in one-to-one. One one. It's possible. How many teachers and mentors and servants people who have served me in various ways, have I meant to, intended to, maybe even thanked in my heart, but never quite made it to the point of letting them know and giving them thanks personally? Well, maybe they didn't give thanks because they had been away from home for a long time and the demands of family and friends was just too much. And so they got caught up in all of that. Maybe they didn't give thanks because they were focused on all that they had missed. All that had been taken from them. All the time that had been lost and wasted. And they focused on their need to catch up. And they still felt like, well, I still don't have enough. I may not have leprosy, but I feel way behind. Maybe they didn't give thanks because they assumed the other nine would give thanks for them. I mean, how many times would Jesus want to hear, well, thank you. Maybe they did, did not give thanks because they were not well practiced in giving thanks because leprosy didn't lend itself to practice gratitude. Maybe they didn't give thanks because they could later. Now let's bring this home as this passage fits so well both in this Thanksgiving weekend and this uh, past week Wit spilled coffee I can't say it was just wit, my grandson. I, I think I might have been involved in this. Wasn't sure if it was him or me or both. But I had it on my chair, a cloth chair in my office. The coffee cup was on the side of the chair and the whole thing went over onto the, onto the chair and the coffee went everywhere. And I was just thinking about that as a bit of a, as I looked at that massive coffee stain and I was preparing for this, how we are so often like that chair saturated in ingratitude. 
And so again, when we see God's gift to us, it produces generosity and the generous spirit that God desires, the very thing that Carrie talked about. And Don will speak to this in just a minute as it relates to McKnight Crossings. But I want to think about this question then as it relates to our text, as it relates to Thanksgiving, as it relates to, I don't know about you, but I think most of us, this deep problem, this insidiousness of ingratitude. And here's the question. How do we respond to God's gifts? In this text, Carrie used the word hesed or mercy, God's faithfulness to us is the very thing that we're seeing that they were crying out for. Lord, have mercy. Have mercy on me. I want to give us a little acronym, maybe a little corny, but I think it's memorable, and I hope you'll just drape it around you this week. The first is, and we'll put the acronym up, is T for time. Taking the time to give thanks. Set a timer on your phone. Do you know, as the people of God, how much more should we be doing this? I've drawn a few of these thoughts from a fellow named Jim Quick, who does, who's not necessarily not a Christian. He doesn't professing any faith. He simply is. He has a. He's a positive people helper that has a lot of podcasts out there, and he has one. It's called Thanks. Now I changed it up here a bit as I Christianized it, so to speak. But it's interesting, even in the world, people recognize. And, and, and he, he makes a point in his podcast, he cites multiple studies that validate the benefits of gratitude on our minds. In other words, gratitude response releases dopamine and serotonin in our brain. If you want to get into the science, it reduces anxiety, it lifts our mood, and like the benefits of exercise, takes time. Consistently taking time to boost your brain, but I might add, your spirit, with thanksgiving. Time requires intentionality. Number two, I've called this honor. The leper throws himself at Jesus' feet. Now that is a thankful response. The man is praising God, thanking Jesus. And it seems to be that there are two sides of the same coin. Thankfulness and worship are, go hand in hand. Honor is the worshipful response of a grateful heart and a re perfect response of a thankful life. These two are ideally interwoven. Gratitude leading to worship completes the circuit of the universe. So the question we need to ask ourselves, am I expressing thanks? Am I, am I full of worship? Am I full of praise? Do I see the interwovenness of those three things on a consistent basis in my life? Number three, acknowledge. We acknowledge God, of course, and that's clear from the one of the ten who came back. A life of gratitude is also, though, quick to thank others on, as part of the journey. To thank your family, to thank the praise team, to thank, to thank the 
tech team back here who's taking care of us. We could go on and on in terms of thankfulness, to thank your spouse, to thank your children, to thank your mom and your dad and your coworkers and your neighbors. And as Mark Twain said, I can live for two months on a good compliment. And we need to be people that are acknowledging others in the same way. And I've put down N for nurture. A life of gratitude is a process. And I, I weirdly can remember being in a bad headspace because I went back and looked at some of my other Thanksgiving sermons this week about 10 or 12 years ago, and I could remember starting the top of the sermon with how I was struggling to find anything to be thankful about in a particular day. And I, I thought to myself, I feel like I'm in such a different place than I was then. Does that mean I've, you know, well, that doesn't mean I won't go bad to a bad place, but I want to think that there's some progress in terms of learning to drape my life with the gratitude that God offers. But it is a process, and it is learned, and it is growth. And, and, and do you think, for example, you can wake up tomorrow and, get, and be able to keep Paul's command in 1 Thessalonians 5, where he says, rejoice always, pray continually. Here's the hard one. Give thanks in all circumstances. That is learned. That takes a lifetime. That, is not, that, is, that may be a nice command by Paul, and I believe there's good reason for him to say that, and I believe that it is absolutely true, but in terms of taking that on in a process of your life, you've got to nurture learning to give thanks in all circumstances. And it's the reason Paul could send, say at the end of his life, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. So as far as nurturing, this week I'd love for you to write a thank you note to someone. I'd love for you to speak words of thanks to someone, to record your gratitude in a journal. This also was over and over again uh, on the various positive podcasts on the internet on very secular people are are touting the value of keeping your own gratitude journal. Well, it's not a new idea. I mean, there's a book written that I follow to some degree called Reimagining the Ignatian Examine. And that particular book is all about the long Catholic history of of. of developing this idea of a, gra- a, a practice, a discipline, nurturing gratitude and thanks as a believer. All right, K, kindness. Now, there are not many things that start with a K, but kindness fits. It was what Jesus expected. It is putting thanksgiving into action and seems to be what this one leper figured out where even if the other nine had been grateful they failed to follow it up the kind of thing 
was to hear from those whose lives have been changed. And you might remember the series a few years back that I did on kindness. It's a superpower, is what I suggested at the time. It is a part of the fruit of the Spirit. It is the secret of relationships. It changes the emotional culture around you. Kindness understands that we have no idea of the battle that people are facing in their lives at this very moment. And it can happen in every day, even in simple actions, growing out of our gratitude, out of our thanks. We are kind, and this kindness is free. And finally, savor. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. Do you see how this passage describes things that Paul is savoring? If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Dwell on these things. Paul explains what it means to savor. I mean, I know you can savor your morning coffee, time permitting. But you savor your relationships and your health and your mental well-being. Will you savor the church Will you savor a song, the goodness of God? Will you savor a passage? Will you savor what God has done for you in Christ Jesus? John Piper wrote a book a few years back called Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ. Savoring is a pure form of worship. So I want to suggest that we have here, while the acrostic is cute, there is a transformational depth, if you'll own it, if you'll take it on as your own, a relationship with the divine that can grow from this spirit that will form your life in gratitude. Final thought experiment, experiment and I'm going to ask Don to come up. How many of you would love to have $10 million this morning? Hands? Oh, yes. Okay, we've got a few. If you woke up with leprosy tomorrow morning, would you trade your health, your 10 million for good health? then aren't you saying that your life and health, even this morning, is worth more than 10 million?
I believe the whole you, physically, emotionally, spiritually, is worth way more than 10 million. And I think you know that. And I think God knows that. You are so highly valued. Carrie, you know what I wrote in my notes? That means you are so rich. We've been given the gifts. You have every reason to give thanks.